our opening prayer this morning, do join me. Almighty, Almighty God, from light, light from who commands the universe, the universe and all that, that is made, made. Your, your word is the power that makes whole what is broken, the force of good and the food of peace. Teach us now as you taught in the synagogue. Heal us now so that in all that we say and do, the freedom we have in you may be for others too. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our next hymn is God Has Spoken by the Prophets, number 108 in your hymnal. now for the prayer of illumination. Please join me. Holy Spirit, your people call out for understanding. Bring to our yearning hearts and minds the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Our first scripture reading this morning is Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 20 in the RSV. The Lord your God will rise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You shall heed such a prophet. This is what you requested of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, If I hear the voice of the Lord my God any more, O ever again, see this great fire, I will die. Then the Lord replied to me, They are right in what they have said. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their own people. I will put my words in the mouth of the prophet who shall speak to them everything that I command. Anyone who does not heed the words that the prophet shall speak in my name, I myself will hold accountable. But any prophet who speaks in the name of the other gods or who presumes to speak in my name a word that I have not commanded the prophet to speak, that prophet shall die. The word of God for the people of God, and you say, Thanks Thanks be to God. 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 Do not let idols grow and multiply in your hands, but give of yourself your time and your possessions out of love for this creation and honor toward what you have been given. Jeanette, who passed away.
Listen now to the prayer of thanksgiving. For earth, which you have molded, for creatures and animals, plants, water, air, and fire, for Jesus who died and rose again, for the breath of life, we give you thanks, O God. Let these gifts be used for good wherever there is need. In the name of all that you have first given us, especially Christ Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Amen. And now we're going to have a moment with the youth. If anyone would like to come in, I will meet them downstairs. Is anyone going to come in? bed before your parents okay does everybody go to bed at the same time how come AJ did you you don't know okay how about you okay and they're they're grown up do you know that you don't Grown-ups don't need as much sleep as children do? 
I'm going to tell you a secret. Not many people know this, but do you know when you grow, you only grow when you're sleeping. And if you're not grown up yet, you need more sleep to grow. So the younger you are, the more you sleep. Little tiny babies, they sleep all day long. Yes? So, okay. So, yes, Olivia? Oh my goodness, yes. You have things to do, you got to get to bed early. Sometimes adults do that too. But why don't you just go to bed whenever you feel like it? Yes? Well, if you sleep a long time, you, you, you need to rest it for a hundred minutes. Okay. Okay. So who decides how long you have to sleep? Do your parents set that rule or do you do that? But why do parents decide how long you have to sleep? I'm sorry? There's a boss. Well, that's for sure. I do. Your, your parents are smarter. They've been around a lot longer. They have more experience. They know how tired you get and how crabby you would be in the morning if you didn't get enough sleep. So they know that you need more sleep. How many of you run around with scissors? Uh, I do. Uh, no, you don't. Yes, I do. I happen to know you don't. Okay. Well, why don't we run around with scissors? Because we do. That's a good reason not to run around with scissors. You could hurt yourself. Could you hurt other people? No. Yeah, if you ran around with scissors, you might hurt other people. So why don't we run around with scissors? I don't. And who told us about that? Well, I don't think that it's written in the Bible anywhere not to run around with scissors. That's something kind of left up to us. But as people get older, hopefully they get smarter, they ha they've gone through more education, and they know things that are better. They have experience, and they have knowledge. So those are important for us. But mostly, why do you think your parents tell you to get to sleep early and not to run around with scissors? What's the really main reason? You think it's 
only because they know it's not a good idea or do you think it might be something more important like they love you very much and they don't want you to be hurt and they don't want you to be tired and cranky could be because they love you so much right so just because your parents stay up later doesn't mean you can and the reason that they have you go to bed early is because they love you yeah. okay and that's going to be part of today's sermon okay all right well thank you for coming in and visiting with me yes i'm sorry okay we're going to do the lord's prayer Okay. Does everybody know it? Yeah. You ready? Our Okay, ready? Yeah. Our Father, Our who, Father art, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. And the, power, and the power and the glory forever, glory forever. Amen. amen okay thank you i'd like to apologize i didn't realize that community sharing is when we do announcements so i'm going to do them now while the past, while the lay reader comes back up there are positions available we are in need of a church historian and a membership secretary if you are interested in either of these positions, please call or talk to Pastor Michael. Sewing Club. Sheila and I would like to start up a sewing group at the church. If you are interested in getting together to sew and would like more information, please contact one of us. We will social distance to keep everyone safe. The building closure. The building will be closed until further notice. Volunteers will be checking the messages and email regularly. It's that time of year again that we need to be prepared in case Sunday's worship service needs to be canceled. Cancellations will be announced on WLEN 103.9 FM and W4 Country 102.9 FM, our Facebook page and our new web page also. Beginning Monday, February 1st, 2021, Pastor Michael will be holding an open meeting for anyone who wants to have some coffee and chat. The time will be from 1 p.m. until 2 p.m. every Monday, and any changes will be communicated as far in advance as possible. These chats are meant to be kind of like a coffee hour and not for any one-on-one -on -one sessions. So grab a cup of coffee or whatever your beverage of choice is and come spend some time getting to know our pastor better. The link for the Zoom meeting will be published on our Facebook page and emailed out prior to the first meeting time. 
Lent is coming up soon, and in place of a book or Bible study, Pastor Michael is going to be offering some prayer workshops at various times during the week. The schedule will be as followed, Monday evenings from 8 to 9 via Zoom, Tuesday mornings at Zony Creek, Stony Creek in person from 10 till 11, Tuesday mornings and afternoons from 11.30 a.m. until 12.30 p.m. via Zoom, Wednesday mornings at Clinton in person, 10 till 11, Wednesday mornings and afternoons from 11.30 until 12.30 via Zoom. The workshops will begin February 22nd, 2020, which is a Monday. Each week we'll focus on and learn more about a different prayer style, resource, or practice. This will also be an opportunity to share with each other about how we pray, why we pray, etc. It is Pastor Michael's hope that some small groups may, may even form over time from these workshops and offer more opportunities for spiritual growth and fellowship. The workshops will continue through Lent and depending on interest may continue beyond at a modified schedule. In order, in an effort to increase his availability for one-on-one -on -one conversations, Pastor Michael is blocking off time blocks during the week that people can schedule in advance or day of for a phone call, a Zoom call, or other means of virtual contact with Pastor Michael. This is not the only time that you can contact Pastor Michael. If there is an emergency, please do not hesitate to contact him. Rather, this is a way for him to be more intentional about setting aside time with people and help him in keeping his time organized. Again, you can always reach out to Pastor Michael anytime with an emergency or issue. But if you would like to speak with him about something that is not urgent, consider going to his website and click the blue schedule button. You can also call the church office and one of the office volunteers can help you find a time that works as well. Please let Pastor Michael know if you have any questions, thoughts, or clarifications that may be needed. Thank you. All right, continuing with the uh, prayers for the people, there are a number of prayer requests. Um, healing mercies for Barry Wright. Uh, Mary Margaret Brooks had a, a knee replacement on Monday, so she won't be dancing the jig anytime soon, but eventually that's a possibility. Uh, Carol Tapp also had knee surgery. Uh, perhaps they could do a, you know, an Irish jig for us uh, someday in the future. That'd be good. Uh, Paula and Susan are high school buddies uh, of Sheila, and they are both battling cancer. So prayers for them. Uh, Sue Hartag, who, uh, whose chemo was not working, so they're going to try something else on her cancer. So prayers for her. Uh, Lisa's family, uh, as her youngest grandson, has been diagnosed with spinal muscular atrophy. They're in the process of getting him approved for a relatively new gene therapy treatment. So prayer for both of the specific use of the treatment and the treatment in general. Uh, Jim Strickland had knee surgery. Lots of knee surgery. I'm feeling my knees giving out on me now. Uh, prayers requested for uh, Judy uh, Crittenden uh, on uh, Raisin Center Highway and her entire family. Michael Lambert 
uh, Kim's neighbor had a tumor on his liver and is suffering from complications that aren't allowing a procedure to be done. So prayers for that to uh, progress positively in the future. Uh, prayers from the family of uh, Jeanette Greenfield Kim's uh, aunt who, uh, who passed away this week. Um, we have a few others here. Um, friends of uh, Sheila's, uh, pray for uh, Jim and Sandy uh, Godblatt uh, because their only child, Matthew, died on Friday. Um, pray for Linda Waddles because uh, family, uh, uh, for the family, she passed away uh, from COVID on Thursday. Uh, Richard Randolph's cousin. Uh, I think I have one more here. I can find it. Um, Vinca uh, Feliciano, who is Sandy uh, Service. Service? 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 Cuerva. Corvus, yeah, like the tequila. Huh. Uh, Brother-in-law in Florida uh, passed away. Uh, ask for healing prayers. I think that's all we have today. Uh, please listen to the call to confession. The one who pardons, heals, and strengthens all who repent calls us to name our failings and our hopes. Let us confess our sins in the presence of God and one another. Please take a short moment of silent prayers of confession. And now we'll proceed again out of order uh, with the prayer of con the corporate prayer of confession. Please join me. Holy and all-powerful God, who commands all spirits, comforts those in distress, and casts out destructive forces, we confess that we are unable to do your will. We protect what is familiar and reject what is unknown. We admire those with courage but excuse ourselves when we falter from the, from the truth. We forget that you are always with us and that with you all things are possible. Forgive us, lead us, make us new. Remove our desire to heed false prophets and to show us your way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Mother of us all, amen. And now hear the declaration of forgiveness. The God who made you and knows your every thought hears you now and forgives you all your sin. You have been redeemed through Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior, who is Alpha and Omega, all in all. Amen. And now please join in the affirmation of faith. You'll find it in the United Methodist Hymnal on page 882. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please join me in our next scripture reading, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 13 in the NRSV. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. But anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists. And that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact, there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you, who possess knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, might they not, since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat, so that I may not cause one of them to fall. The word of God for the people of God, and you say, thanks, thanks, thanks be to God. God. Our next hymn is number 62, All Creatures of Our God and King.
scripture reading is from Mark chapter 1 verses 21 through 28 and this is about the man with an unclean spirit they went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came he entered the synagogue and taught they were astounded at his teaching for he taught them as one having authority not as the scribes just then there was in this, their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord and you reply, praise, praise to you, to Lord, you Jesus Lord, Christ. Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I have a tendency when I, when I visit other churches and, and uh, speak, I'm a lay speaker, not a minister. I have had some training. Uh, but I rely on the um, standard lectionary uh, and today's lectionary selection is about the Corinthians um, and uh, their problem as well as uh, I'm sorry I'm, I'm starting to get organized here um, we'll, we'll start with the Corinthians um, the Corinthians, being Greeks, were very much into knowledge um, and, and logic. Everything they approached in life had to he either be logical or a, an empirical knowledge that they had gathered. And in doing that, they set themselves into a hierarchy of being more intelligent than someone else, more knowledgeable than someone else. Um, and oftentimes that creates a problem. Uh, if I am the smart, if I believe I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm going to treat everybody in that room with a little bit of disrespect at the very least. So this argument is an argument not against their knowledge, but an argument for love to be higher than the pursuit 
of knowledge. To be more loving than we are more knowledgeable is more important. He takes on this topic by starting with where the Corinthians are in their thinking as they consider eating meat that has previously been sacrificed to pagan idols. Being Greeks, they're very proud of their knowledge and logic. Now, I, when I grew up, I've been a Methodist my entire life, baptized and confirmed and been a member of this, uh, the United Methodist Church. Well, the United Methodist Church since 1968. Before that, I was just an ordinary Methodist. Um, but as I was brought up, there were a few things that you had to, you had to have as, as a Methodist. You had to be able to sing in four-part harmony. That was an absolute requirement. Uh, I never saw it written anywhere, but I was assured by the members of the congregation I grew up in that being able to sing in four-part harmony was a requirement. The other requirement was that we had to have a potluck supper every other month. It was an absolute requirement. So this section about eating meat might be a little disturbing to some of us who have been Methodists uh, for a long time about, you know, this is a potluck supper. Um, there were places in Corinth that, uh, a, as a member of the Christian church, you could go for a meal, and they were in the temples of false gods, idols. Now, if you were secure in your knowledge that God was all and that God is the only God, then where you eat is of no consequence. It, it shouldn't bother you uh, to eat in a pagan idol, uh, idol's temple. Uh, you might be eating with family or friends or neighbors or whatnot, and you're merely being hospitable. You're not worshiping in their temple. But if you were seen going into a temple by a new member of your congregation, they might find that disturbing. Here is this pillar of our church going into a, a pagan temple. What's going on? I, I, I'm confused. I don't understand. Um, and that was the problem that they were talking about. The individuals who were secure in their knowledge of God were not cognizant of the insecurity of some of the members of their congregation in seeing them enter into a pagan temple. Now, we don't, that's not a usual concern amongst Methodists today. Um, I, I, I rarely see anybody entering a pagan temple uh, to have dinner or lunch. Um, Arby's is as close as that gets, I guess. Um, no offense to Arby's, if you like it. Um, but the individuals who were so secure in their knowledge felt that they were smart enough that they didn't have to concern themselves. Um, he first appeals to their, their concept of being knowledgeable by saying that all of us possess knowledge. He's actually making fun of them when he says that. Um, it's part of what the Corinthians 
almost have as a slogan. You, you might see it on their, if they had uh, city limit signs like most uh, communities in America have, you might see that underneath, welcome to Corinth, uh, all of us possess knowledge or something along those lines. Um, because that's what they're, they're, they think is important. They wouldn't be touting their football team or or any high school uh, athletic uh, organization, but uh, they would be touting that. Paul keeps returning to the hierarchy of love over knowledge in Corinthians. And he upholds love as more important than all of the other spiritual gifts and knowledge uh, that they might have. He develops a priority where love over knowledge is more important. He states that anyone laying claim to knowledge proves their very lack of the same. They're not smart enough to know how stupid they are. And right now my grandson is probably saying that he shouldn't say that. Um, but they didn't realize how, how wrong they were holding knowledge above love. He develops the priority where um, he lays claim to the knowledge that proves that they don't understand what worshiping God is all about. While the use of the term knowledge here makes the text somewhat distinct from earlier chapters, the heart of Paul's message in chapter 8 echoes similar sentiments from Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 through 3, where uh, chapters 1 through 3, where Paul points out that the world did not come to know God through wisdom, that he himself did not preach with words of wisdom, and that the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. In short, although the language in chapter 8 is slightly different, the sentiment is the same. God, we know, through love. Jesus preached love. Paul otherwise connects with other chapters in, in uh, his development of the theme of upbuilding each other. Love builds up. If I tell you how smart I am, I'm not making... I'm not upbuilding you. I'm upbuilding myself. I'm trying to puff myself up. But if I show you love, then I bring you up. I, I raise you up. And that's what we should be about. The work of mutual upbuilding comes up again later in Paul's discussions, uh, practices of uh, spiritual gifts. And Paul uses this criteria of uplifting or upbuilding one another as the measure for assessing the, effect, uh, the effectiveness of spiritual gifts. Does your spiritual gift lift up your fellow Christian? Does it lift up your neighbor? And then we get into the whole possibility that liberty is sin. And that's a hard one for Americans to get 
their mind wrapped around. We think of liberty as being almost our secular religion. Um, but beyond prioritizing love, Paul also hopes that the Corinthians will realize the harm that they can do with their so-called knowledge. Um, that their knowledge is wrecking their community and destroying some of their members. And to address this, Paul continues with his, with his strategy of quoting slogans from the Corinthians themselves that there is no God but one, which is obviously something he agrees with, but that's the only one that he's not saying with a little bit of irony. Well, Paul has no qualms about overturning the Corinthians' claim to universal knowledge, Paul acknowledges that the Corinthians believe in one God is not incorrect. He affirms that so much in, in verses 5 and 6, where he agrees that the premise that the so-called gods of the world are powerless idols. However, Paul, uh, for Paul, this knowledge alone is not enough to justify the individual freedom to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Again, while it doesn't seem very big a deal for us, let's, let's change that slightly. Let's say we know someone who has um, a problem, an addiction. Do we lead them astray by making it easy for them to sin against themselves and against God? Most of the friends that I have that uh, I know who are uh, members of Alcoholics Anonymous will not have a problem with you drinking in front of them. They've come to terms with their demon. The problem is, does one have an unrealized demon in them? Are they falling prey to alcohol, and does my drinking alcohol in front of them cause them to sin? Does my occasional... Uh, activity that I'm allowed to do and is legal to do that is a weakness for them caused them to stray. Uh, I know a few Methodists, none here obviously, uh, who have occasionally purchased a lottery ticket. Now I know there's no gambling that takes place on the church grounds, that's obvious, but if I want to go to the casino and, and throw $100 at the blackjack table, you know, 50 cents at a time, I'm a big gambler. I'm a really big-time gambler. The last time I think I was anywhere where I could gamble was a long time ago. And uh, I, it was on a cruise ship, and it was a, I had $100. My wife gave me $100 to just go crazy with. And... Uh, well, it lasted all week, so I'm not a big-time gambler. Um, but if I were to invite someone who had that susceptibility to, uh, to gambling, if I invited them along with me, even though my rights, my liberty is to do that, I'm causing them to sin. So how many of us do things on a regular ordinary day basis that causes someone else to stray. That we need to keep conscious 
we need to have that out in front of us. We need to be able to recognize, am I causing someone to stray? Do they have an eating disorder? Do they have a gambling disorder? Do they have a drinking problem? Uh, any of those things that can cause us to be weaker in our resolve, be, to be weaker in our love of, of God and Jesus, if, if we cause them to stray, then haven't we sinned against Jesus as well? Because as we know, how we treat the least of these, we treat Jesus also. So, in short, knowledge can be leveraged as a weapon against people if we're not careful. And Paul is uninterested in appeals to individual rights when the well-being of others are at stake. So does the exercise of our freedom cause someone else to fail? And while we are not going to be talking so much about uh, eating in pagan temples, I doubt seriously if it's ever going to be a, a topic of conversation here. We do have other things. Um, as the recent uh, COVID-19 uh, pandemic has illustrated, there are other issues facing our congregations that might benefit Paul's ethic of love. What is it that we can do out of love for our fellow man, our neighbors, our family? What is it that we can do that helps them? Uh, a favorite phrase, I, I was in the Gulf War, uh, Persian Gulf War in 1991, uh, as a member of the United States Coast Guard. And I spent half my time telling Marines uh, and soldiers that number one, yes, we're here in Saudi Arabia and we're guarding the Saudi Arabian coast. Huh? But you're the United States Coast Guard. I know, you're the United States Army. Why aren't you in the United States? We were there guarding the coast and we were here before you. Um, my unit was unfortunately on annual active duty at the time that uh, Saddam Hussein went into Kuwait and they decided not to let my unit go home. That was a lot of fun. Not really. Um, but we all, uh, we all went about our, uh, our duties as we were required. Uh, but getting back to COVID-19, should we wear masks? Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not afraid of COVID-19. God will protect me. And one phrase I did learn in Saudi Arabia was trust in Allah, but remember to tie up your camel. For some reason, God will not make that camel stay exactly where you left it. Something about being God's hands and feet. We do God's will on earth. If we don't do it, it won't get done. Very rarely does uh, you know, God smite anyone dead with a lightning bolt. So it's up to us to do what it is that needs to be done for the love of our neighbors, our family, our friends. Should mass be required 
uh, for all meetings. Seems like if we love the people who are in that room with us, we would wear a mask. People of faith may disagree on that. There are a number of churches uh, across the United States who have not decided to do what this church and other churches have done, which is to go virtual. You're in the safety of your cars. You're at home watching on your computers. Uh, We're still in a congregation with one another, and yet we are safely ensconced in our, our cars or our homes so that we don't have a problem with transmitting the disease. We're, we're doing what we can because we love our neighbors. So while Paul may have been addressing a specific issue that was important at the time, we can use the wisdom in that, uh, in that chapter, in those verses, to, to guide us in what we're doing today. Paul's instruction is still timeless. Uh, as far as Mark is concerned, that, that's a whole other thing, but it, it's still in the same vein. Uh, in Mark's uh, teaching, Jesus was, uh, was teaching uh, in Capernaum. And Capernaum was where he started his ministry. And he began on the Sabbath day in the synagogue in the very center of the biggest city in Galilee. Jesus exercised an evil spirit from a man. And it represents an attack on the scribes. Now, this is in the synagogue during service. And the scribes are teaching the law. That was their job. And Jesus comes in, and Jesus taught the people, and the people in the congregation recognized that he had authority to speak. They just understood that about him. And it was not the case with the scribes. The scribes um, simply lectured about the law. And the main activity of the scribes was teaching. And here was Jesus walking into their house. This was their house. They were in charge of this activity. And Jesus walks in and just takes over. So you can imagine how the scribes felt. It consisted of a lecture. uh, They normally would consist of a lecture on the law or the prophets. And they would explain the relevant implications on how people were supposed to live their lives. Jesus, on the other hand, was usurping their role as teachers, and he did it better than they did. It's bad enough he came in and took over, but he had to outshine them, made them look bad. But he wasn't representing a new teaching. He was giving an interpretation that proved to be more relevant than what the scribes had offered. He was upstaging them rather badly, as a matter of fact. The center of the scripture has uh, Jesus ordering the demon out of the man. And it shows that 
the main emphasis is in the exorcism itself. Obviously, the scribes couldn't have done that. Mark seems to be leading the reader to consider what a demon-possessed person was doing in a synagogue. Um, when's the last time you had a demon-possessed uh, person walk into church here? Probably doesn't happen very often. But it might happen occasionally. Um, might be happening right now. You never know. Uh, uh, Jesus performed the miracle by um, the power that he had in ordering the demon out. In Mark's view, the scribe's teaching is demonic because it did not liberate the people he was speaking to, but oppressed them and enslaved them, which is oftentimes the problem with the law of Moses. There are 613 commandments, laws, in the Bible, 613. 603 were written by Moses. Whether or not you could travel on the Sabbath, whether or not you could pluck a gray hair from your head on the Sabbath, whether you could look in a mirror during uh, a funeral, whether you could eat shrimp or pork or any number of other things. All of these rules were there, uh, and I'm sure Moses had a good reason for it, um, and I have views on that, which we won't go into at this moment. Uh, we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments, uh, sometimes it's difficult to, rem to uh, remember them, certainly in order. Uh, but there are the four commandments, the first four, deal with how we are to treat God and how we interact with God. And the other six are how we interact or uh, deal with one another. Um, now, if you continue on in the New Testament... Christ tells us that there are only two commandments, only two important ones. And if you keep these two commandments, everything's good. Love God, love your neighbor. Everything else is irrelevant. Jesus is recognized when he when he orders the demon out, the demons recognize him. They know who he is. Demons are spiritual beings. So the next time you have some friend who says that they're not religious, but they're spiritual, remind them that demons are religious, or excuse me, are spiritual beings as well. Uh, the spiritual beings, the demons in the man, recognize who Jesus is. They see him, and they name him. They name him the Holy One of God. They know who he is. The reason why they recognize him is because they are demons, because they are spiritual beings, and they're letting the cat out of the, out of the bag. He's not ready to be known as the Son of God just yet. And he tells them to be silent, and they are. In 
In that culture, in that time, to know one's true name was to have power over them. We all remember the, the, the uh, uh, it's not a nursery rhyme, I guess it's the old childhood story of Rumpelstiltskin, where the, the queen has to uh, know the name of the man who helps her spin straw into gold. Otherwise, she must give up her first child to him. Because she finds out his name, she has power over him. And it's kind, it's kind of a remnant of that uh, thinking in that time. But knowing the name of your demons gives you power over them. In order to come out of him, um, the, the order to come out of him um, has a connotation relating to death and judgment and the final destiny, destiny of the soul and of humankind. Uh, if, the time had been, it, it, if the time had been fulfilled and the, and the domain of God had come near, that would mean that God's enemies were beginning to be defeated and Satan's rule uh, would be over uh, in the world. So the demons that Mark talked about are those who, possessed, uh, who, po who possess us as a community, as a nation, and as members of the human race. They're intent on destroying us, and we need to cast them out. So how do we do that? First, like those demons, we have to name them. If we know the names of our demons, then we can pray as Jesus did in Mark 9, 29, when he exercised the boy with an evil spirit. Naming the demons is a way to recognize that they exist. We start with the big one. Unbelief. Losing one's faith in God, in life as a sacred force, in our fellow human beings. It's the feeling that nothing can be done to solve our problems. Unbelief is a demon that comes upon us from time to time. Sometimes it comes to us in our grief, sometimes in our joy, and sometimes in that quiet time where we're neither in uh, joy or sorrow. We begin to believe that we don't need to believe. And from our springing, uh, from that, uh, that disbelief, that unbelief, there are other demons that are of similar fearful company. And there are a lot of them. I'll name a few. There's homophobia and racism, sexism, classism, religious and ideological intolerance, Violence at home, violence at work, violence at school, poverty, militarism, terrorism, unjust wars, greed, extreme individualism, globalization, out-of-control capitalism, 
media-infused fear that leads to paranoia, and government manipulation of information. There are many more. Too much of a good thing is still bad for us. We have to consider that as well. Praying is not a pious recognition of God's will or an exercise that puts our mind at ease, but rather an intensely personal struggle within each disciple and among us collectively to resist the despair and distractions that cause us to practice unbelief, to abandon or avoid the way of Jesus. In other words, it's the struggle to believe that change for the better can really happen, that a better world is possible. And unless we name our demons, they in turn will name us, and they will claim us, they will control us, and they will destroy us. It takes courage for us to name those demons because it will likely be difficult for us. We may make us unpopular, and uh, some will consider us not worthy of association because we've decided to resist those temptations. So I leave you today with one question and that only you can answer. Ask this of yourself. Am I willing to pay the price for a better family, a better community, a better nation, and a better world as Jesus did? I want to leave you with this prayer. Holy and awesome God, your son's authority is found in integrity and living truth, not the assertion of power over others. Open our imaginations to new dimensions of your love and heal us of all that serves evil and severs us from you and from one another, that we may grow into the vision you unfold before us. Amen. And now, please turn to your hymnals to number 451. Yes, no. Be, be thou my vision.
As you go from this place to a world, a world full, fully known by God, where there is fear, remember the authority of Christ Jesus. Where there is a need of love, give it. Where there is pain, bring peace, for you are loved by the one who redeems and free to live by the word of life, go in peace with the knowledge that God's power is given to the church, the body of Christ, for the sake of the life of the world. Amen.